So, John, say you're in a world which you are the only human and you were in complete control of your appearance, including your hairline. How would you choose to look and dress? Uh, well, I don't know why you brought up my hairline, because I don't think that needs any changing. It's fine. Oh, great. So I'm the only human and I have complete control over how I look and dress. Yes. You're under David Bowie role. Eh, I think I'd just be naked all the time. You're a strange, strange man. What? I like being naked. It's no cool. one looks good naked. That's when everyone looks their worst. Yeah, but no, you just said I'm the only human there, so nobody has any context for what good or bad is in terms of what looks. So if I could just be comfortably naked all the time. Well, I suppose that does kind of fit with my question. Yeah. Oh, that's a world I do not want to go to. Welcome everybody to Beyond the Box Set, the podcast where we pitch prequels, sequels and spin-offs to films that don't have any. I'm Harry, joining me as always is John. Hello. And this week is the last week of our little season, Sing Has Turned Actors, or Sing Your Way to an Oscar, as I named it. Yes. Labyrinth. What a what a film to close on. Ugh, yes, indeed. Why did you not like it? No, I love it. Are you kidding? <laughs> Who doesn't love Labyrinth? I was a bit worried that you, well, you chose it, so I kind of assumed you liked it, but mm. we've kind of had issues in the past with you and, like, nostalgic 80s movies and you just generally seem to hate them. Well, that's because I don't have any nostalgia for them. Sure. This is definitely one of those films that just lives off nostalgia. Sure. And if you have nostalgia for it, it's a great film. I imagine if you don't, I don't know, because I do, mm-hmm. if you don't, then you probably won't like it. Okay. So that's, you know, why I don't like things like The Goonies and stuff, which I know are very loved films. Mm-hmm. Sure. So when did you first see this? Um, I'm not sure. Just at some point when I was a child couple of times. It wasn't like a regular film that we watched. I don't know if we had it, but I think I remembered every scene that was in this film as it was happening. I had the same experience. Like, I remember every single scene of this movie really clearly. And I, mm. yeah, I watched it when I was a kid, but I don't think I watched it like, like I watched The Little Mermaid, where I watched it over and over and over mm-hmm. again until I knew it verbatim. Like, mm. I probably saw it a handful of times, but it's just, everything's so memorable. Yeah. Everything in this film is it's so, so memorable. vivid. Yes. The whole thing feels like a dream, mm. but it's done so well. Yeah. And so it, it feels like how memories just get distorted normally. Mm. This film's already there. Yeah. And so it just fits in quite well. And I think that's why it's so easy to remember it, even if you've only seen it once when you were a child. That's a very good point, yeah. One thing I find with Jim Henson films in general, the plots are quite thin. They don't have the most like exciting plots. Not oh yeah, this happens. absolutely has a video game plot. Yeah. 100%. Mm-hmm. But they're so full of ideas. Mm. There's just so many great ideas and so many great visual things and just memorable characters that you don't really need a plot particularly. You just enjoy hanging out with it and then when it ends, it's it's over. But, mm. So yeah, every single scene holds together, even if the plot itself is really paper thin. Yeah, it does. And uh, just everything looks fantastic in this mm. film. Well, almost everything. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a couple of green screen bits, but yeah. even then there's still a very certain style to it. So like say when there's the, uh, I don't know if they have a name, but there's the animals who can like, take off their heads. The fireys. Yeah. Probably the worst green screen effects in, in the film. That was what I was thinking of when I said um, most of this looks good, because the parts of that scene that look terrible. <laughs> like, they look great. The creature features are amazing. Oh, yeah. But when it, when it pans out and you see them all dancing and it looks like some weird, low-budget music video, mm. it, it, it looks genuinely dreadful. <laughs> 
but the idea of it, the is, idea is the, fabulous. The, the idea of it is what absolutely stands out uh-huh. to me for that scene, and that scene used to really scare me as a child. What did you think of the acting in this film? By the well, there's only really two human characters: Jennifer Connelly and David Bowie. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's uh, her dad and stepmom, who are awful. They're just <laughs> so cardboard. They really are. Um, and and well, let's be honest, Jennifer Connelly is uh, not doing her best work in this. No, yeah, <laughs> it's, I'm a... she, she's not. She's not given great stuff to work with, though, because no. most of the time she is just speaking her mind. Yeah, she's just talking to herself so that we know what's going on because she's got nobody else to to talk to to give us any exposition of what's going on and what she's thinking. Yeah, I don't know. She she wasn't given the easiest part to do good acting with. True, it's it's a lot of quite stilted ex- exposition dialogue. So mm. yeah, but yeah, I remember. And, even- it, and it must be very hard for anybody to act off just puppets. Yeah, because like David Bowie's acting in this. It's not great. No, it's not. <laughs> but most of the time, it's just him and just lots, lots of these puppets that are about ankle level. Mm. What's he supposed to do with that? Yeah. I kind of liked David Bowie's because he's not doing a lot at all. He's really quite flat in it. Mm-hmm. But it kind of, again, it kind of worked in this weird, dreamy kind of vibe. It just it made the whole thing feel even more like a weird dream in some ways that, that he was kind of quite low key, low key. He wasn't like doing big, like, I'm the Goblin King, rah, kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of. A little bit trippy, and like he, he seemed a little bit spaced out, which he often was. So, mm, and he, he, yeah. God knows what cocktail of drugs he was on while he was filming this, but you know, <laughs> possibly a lot of them. But I remember even when I was a kid, I think Jennifer Connelly was my first. I'm pretty sure it was the first time I kind of had the impression that oh, not all people who who are in films are good actors. <laughs> Sometimes Aww. people aren't good. Like, <laughs> it's not very nice, but no. fair. But it's it's weird though. It's because Jennifer Connelly is an Oscar winner. So yeah, I mean, she's a kid. You've got to give her some slack. She's a kid, so she got better. But mm-hmm. yeah, I definitely remember thinking at the time, like, this girl's not a good actress. Like, no. she's really, really flat. And it, you're right, I think a lot of it does come down to the fact that she has the harder role in many ways. I think that if it was, instead of Jennifer Connelly, I don't know if the time this film came out lines up quite well, but uh, Winona Ryder would have been a really good shout. Yes, absolutely, yeah. W- was it about uh, Mermaid's time that this came out? A little bit earlier. I think this came out in, like, 1986. Six. Six. Oh, was it six? And when was Mermaid's? 1990. Okay, sure. So maybe Winona was just a touch too young, I don't know. Yeah, perhaps. What age was she supposed to be? 16. 16. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she felt she, younger, she, but... She, she, she just about looked 16. Look, I, yeah. I, she, she passed for 16, yeah. but the way that she was behaving was not how a 16-year-old no, behaves. yeah. It was how, like, a like, like a 10-year-old behaves. Yeah. Really. Very much so, yeah. Um, did she have any friends? No. Well, the first scene of the film, she's... Is she cosplaying? But on her own? Yeah, yeah, I think she's like wearing like some or maybe she's Renaissance like, fair dress. And... Yeah, she seems to be. Yeah. Well, it was my first laugh of the film when when she did all that looking directly at the camera for, yeah. for one thing, yeah. which never happened again in the film, no, by yeah. the way. <laughs> yeah, and she does all that, and then suddenly she she realizes the time or something, and then the rain starts and she runs home. Yeah. At that point, the film suddenly hit hard as to what decade this film came out in when a David Bowie song kicks in with just a massive saxophone solo oh, at the yeah. start. It's like, wow, this is... <laughs> the most 80s of all the instruments, yeah. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, that was good. I mean, I 
she was a terrible actress, but I loved the mum's uh, like twin set and pearls look. Yeah. It was so eighties, <laughs> like that high, high, high waisted skirts, like, mm-hmm. the huge fluffy ruched shoulder pads, like mm-hmm. that tight, tight eighties perm. Yeah, she was such a quintessential like eighties mum. She look. was, wasn't yeah. she? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, just to go back a bit, Winona Ryder and Jennifer Connelly might be around the same age because I do know that Jennifer Connelly was one of the people who was originally considered to play the role of Veronica in Heathers. Okay. The Winona Ryder role. And then yeah. she was, I think her mum said she couldn't be in it because it was too dark. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, if she was at the level of acting in this, if she'd brought that level to Heathers, that would have been a disaster. Oh yeah, Winona Ryder's one year younger. Okay, sure. So about all intents and purposes in the same market. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I cannot see, I mean, I can't see anyone but, Winona Ryder in Heathers. Like, she's so perfect for that role. Mm. But I really can't see Jennifer Connelly in Heathers. I cannot see how that would have worked at all. Yeah. Winona Ryder's IMDb picture is just... It's scary. It's just staring right at me. (laughs) Just look at it. What's up with her eyes? Those those intense panda eyes she's got, yeah. Oh, she's just so brilliant. But, (laughs) man, get off my screen. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's what, like, the world said to her in about, like, the year 2000. It's like... (laughs) For like 10 years, just like, we like you, but go away. (laughs) (laughs) Through dangers untold and hardships unnumbered, I have fought my way here to the castle beyond the goblin city to take back the child that you have stolen. Why does this film have more of a cult following? I think it does. I, I absolutely assume it does, and I know it's got a lot of fans. But why is it not being referenced in things recently, like Ready Player One, for example? Now, that's a good point. Because I thought that it would have that kind of cult status, mm. that something as big as that that's referencing, like, The Breakfast Club and uh, that um, uh, Matthew Broderick film. Oh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. There we go. Okay. Yeah, yeah. if it's referencing films like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, yeah. why is it not referencing this? That's a good point. You do- I mean, maybe it's because it's kind of hard to reference. Is it? I don't, I don't know. I mean, in Ready Player One, to reference something, they would just say it. That's true, that's true, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then somebody, someone else would say, oh, that's a reference, mm. and that would be it. Ooh, you know what? As much as I enjoyed the Shining scene in Ready Player One, mm. imagine if that had been Labyrinth. Imagine if they'd have to go into... How cool, how fucking cool. You know what? That's a way better shout. Because like, yeah. like I say, Labyrinth, it's a video game, yeah. essentially. Totally, so It yeah. really would have fit for that. And having oh. all the puppets back, that would have been so good. I, think, oh. I mean, David Barry was already dead, so they couldn't have had him, but yeah. that might Well, they didn't get Jack Nicholson for it. Well, they, they didn't, you're right, so. true. Oh, that would have been brilliant, yeah. Oh, uh, man. Yeah, this film should be referenced more. Yeah. And you, sir. How are you enjoying my labyrinths? It's a piece of cake. Oh. Really? And how about upping the stakes, hmm? It's not fair! You say that so often. I wonder what your basis for comparison is. So what do you think of David Bowie in this then? Like I said, uh, well, I mean, let's get out of the way straight away. His crotch. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. His cod piece is, I mean, it's just there. It's just, it's weird that they, they made that costume choice. Yeah. Because just put something over it. Yeah. Just like some short shorts or something. I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't like help. Se- yeah. Sequin hot pants. Yeah. It, w- it would probably work been. with what he's wearing. Yeah, sure. I mean, anything. It's yeah. David Bowie. But why leave just... like He's wearing he's wearing tights, essentially, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. 
You can see everything. And like, why? And it makes it worse because he's acting primarily alongside, well, a teenage girl. Yeah. But also a puppet that comes right up to it. So there's a lot of scenes yeah. that, like from Hoggle's perspective where all you can see on screen is Hoggle's head and David Bowie's dick. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It's, yeah. <laughs> who decided? Who let that through? Maybe it was just a, it was, maybe it was a choice. Maybe it was his, like... Who was in like, his contract? Yeah, I, I will only appear in this movie if, yeah... Oh dear! Uh, but other than that, other than his penis, like, <laughs> and I'm not saying it was a bad thing. It was just kind of, you know, it was just very distracting. Like, mm. Um, again, his outfits. He, he had. He was really rocking some looks in this film. He was, wasn't he? Yeah. So many, like, again, so many, so eighties, like, so many shoulder pads, and I mean, the wig, capes, the cape. Yeah, that cape. At that the start. man can wear a cape. He can oh. rock a cape. Yeah. That collar, that collar was taller than him. Yeah. <laughs> it was taller than his wig. Yeah. I like how his, his, he, he had a wig, yeah. and then his collar had a wig yeah. in some scenes. <laughs> his outfits had wigs. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. No, it was fabulous. And it was very much like, even though he wasn't like the most animated performance, like I said, I think it worked for the, for the film. And it's just something about like the David Bowie kind of star quality, like the, the presence that he has on the screen, like because he is was such a visual artist and so it he already he always did seem like he was magic and so having him as a goblin king in, in all these kind of outlandish outfits just makes sense i think if, if, if he'd had a real actor you probably would have just been like no no, no. well no he's not he's a musician he acted in like three films in his life he did this he did the prestige and then the man who fell to earth i think mm-hmm. i can't was it the prestige or the other one yeah 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 he's not been in many films is what i mean mm. but if you had like an actor like i don't even know who who would you cast well, it's a very difficult... Anyone we'll, but we'll, David Bowie. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that with the sequels, I guess. But yeah. someone at the time... So, yes, just say... I oh, know. Let's say they got Robert De Niro. Just mm-hmm. pull any name out of the hat. Okay. You'd be like, oh, it's Robert De Niro playing the Goblin King. Mm. Whereas even though David Bowie's more, in many ways more famous and iconic and harder to separate, at the same time, it just makes sense that someone like David Bowie would be playing this, like, Goblin King. Mm. It just fits so well with him. Yeah. And, well, it, it really fits with the film, the way they integrate his music in, into it as well. Yes, yeah, that helped a lot. And I do love when... So it works in Matilda as well, where essentially the villain of the film is also sort of like a good guy behind the scenes. Yeah. So Matilda, Danny DeVito, despite being the villain, is the, the happy narrator. Yeah, yeah, sure. And then in this, despite David Bowie being the villain, he's just doing all the backing music as well. Yeah, it's he's... very clearly, the same. it's such an iconic voice. Yeah, it's yeah. very clearly him doing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, no, I like that. Yeah, he's not particularly scary. No, not massively. He's just kind of intriguing yeah yeah <laughs> it's like, like what's going on here like i was also wondering like what's his end game what, yeah. what 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 drives his life yeah well i guess there are questions that you don't answer in dreams it's like he wants mm. he, he wants the baby he steals the baby mm. one of my favorite little facts about this film that i was watching very closely for this time and I, I do encourage you to go back and watch is that so you know in most of his scenes he he has the glass balls mm-hmm. and he's kind of like running them up and down his hands and stuff and it's mm-hmm. all part of his kind of you know magical quality yeah david barry couldn't do that uh, I, I, I was wondering that yeah so do you know they, they this is so funny they had somebody who could do that standing behind him mm-hmm. putting their arms through so they are not David Bowie's arms like there are scenes in this film where David Bowie's just standing there with his own arms like behind his back or something where while somebody somebody else's arms are just like literally pushed out onto his shoulders mm-hmm. just doing all the handwork. so David Bowie was himself a puppet in this film <laughs> Which is brilliant! Like, oh, God. <laughs> it wasn't Jim Henson doing it, was it? I don't know. I don't know. But 
Yeah. Oh man. I wish the goblins would come and take you away. Right now. Turns out Jennifer Connolly was actually 16 when the film was released. Oh, well, so, doesn't actually, surprise me. She looks yeah. about that age, I guess. Like, it's weird because... For, she, for once, a, teen, a, a teenager playing their age in a film. True, that's very true. As opposed to like, somebody in their early 30s. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> <laughs> I did think it was interesting because she is characterised very much as a little girl. Like, because, you know, it's yeah. all about the fantasies and she's got her dolls and her toys and stuff. But also, like, for example, the scene where most of the time she reads as a child, but then there's the scene where and she dances with David Bowie and she's in that dress mm. and she really looks like a young woman in that scene. Completely, yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of unsettling. Yeah. Then you've got like, this grower man dancing with this little girl, but then also the little girl looks kind of mature. And it's, yeah, I'm sure it was deliberate. Like, I think a lot of the subtext of this film is about, like, you know, going from childhood to, you know, adolescence and mm-hmm. becoming an adult, which she seems to struggle with because she's living in this... She's like retreating to this fantasy world. Mm-hmm. And her stepmother actually says to her, doesn't she? She says, uh, you know, I, I want you to have dates. You should be having oh, dates yeah, at this yeah. age. And she doesn't seem like she's a particularly sexual being in any way. No. But yeah, she does seem quite disturbed. Like, well, yeah. <laughs> deeply. Like, to the point where I was like, you should. She's, she's having these fantasies about David Bowie. Yeah, 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 sure. But like, she's just super intense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I just kind of thought, like, you, to the parents, like, you, I don't think you should leave this baby in charge with the, this girl in charge of this baby. I don't think she's mentally equipped for it. No. I mean, you're asking for trouble. No. And as it turns out, so she's left to babysit her baby brother, Toby. Mm-hmm. Toby, yeah. Mm-hmm. Who is dressed as Where's Wally in this movie? <laughs> just with the red and the little red and white jumpsuit. Yes. Do you remember the scene where Jennifer Connelly randomly puts on the little red and white Where's Wally hat for no reason? Yeah. <laughs> She just kind of stares into the mirror, like puts this hat on very intensely. Yeah. Carries on talking and then she just takes it off again. And then it's so weird. Teenagers for you. Yeah. Is it her hat? It's too big for the baby. Maybe. It's bizarre. Just just a little. Maybe maybe, maybe it's a one size fits all. It's very stretchy. It is the baby's hat, but it fits on her head. Could be, could be, yeah. Anyway, so she's left in charge of the baby and the baby keeps crying and kind of annoying her. Mm-hmm. And then she, so she's kind of gets, getting very upset about it. Oh, she gets really mad at the baby because somebody took the teddy bear out of her room. Oh, yeah. Even though it's clearly not Toby's fault. He doesn't have motor skills. <laughs> he hasn't got into the room and taken that teddy bear. Yeah. But he gets the blame. And it's just it. on the floor, like, not even next to his crib. Yeah. Just around it. And like, yeah, it wasn't him. <laughs> yeah. I guess she was like sub- sublimating. Also, you're 16. You don't need these teddy bears. No, you don't need these teddy bears. He's a baby. He has no teddy bears. Yeah. <laughs> Give him the teddy bear. <laughs> Again, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's all part of the subtext. I don't know. But yeah. I think she's kind of sublimating her anger towards her stepmother mm. onto Toby the baby. Mm, definitely. Also, is Toby like her half-brother? I guess. Because that was never really covered. Yeah, this. Yeah. unless... I mean, Toby can't be more than six months old. Yeah. He's a baby. Yeah. And so unless the mum left or died... Like the, the hair mum. And then dad and, and the dad moved on, moved on right super quick. quick. Yeah. <laughs> Which might be why she's so fucked up. <laughs> Have we just solved this film? <laughs> yep, that's it. That's what happened. Fantastic, okay. Yeah, I'm going to assume that um, it's the stepmother's. So it's yeah. Toby's a half-brother. And maybe that's another reason why she resents him so much. Hmm. So then she's like doing this. She just kind of does this weird incantation. Like, you know, Goblin King, Goblin King, take this child away from me. Mm-hmm. I liked how it cuts. That this is the first time you see the puppets, I think. Mm, yes, like, while is, she's yeah. saying it, it just cuts to the puppets like yeah. waking up I thought that was a really cool little mm. little detail mm-hmm. and then it turns out that that's not what she needs to say she just needs to say something really mundane like I wish the Goblin King would come and take you away yeah 
And so she says this thing, and then the Goblin King, played by David Bowie, well, initially played by a, a tawny owl, or oh, a snowy yeah. owl, a snowy owl, yeah. that flies into the room. Like, flies right into her face. I don't know how they got that shot. No. Like, poor Jennifer Connelly must have been terrified. Because mm. if I had, like, a, an owl flying at my face, no matter how well-trained it might be. It was weird to have that. And then at the end of the film, when the owl comes back, like, it sort of bookmarks the film a little bit. Yeah. The owl is this this really, really bad puppet. Oh, actually. And it's very, very obvious. And like, at the start, it's a trained owl that flies right at the camera mm. or whatever. But at the end, it's... It's just not. And actually, it was the very first example of a CG, a fully CGI'd animal on screen. Oh, was it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is probably why it looks really janky. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, there we mm-hmm. go. Uh, so yeah. So then David Bowie appears as the Goblin King mm-hmm. and uh, takes the baby, mm-hmm. and then tells her she has thirteen hours or something to solve the riddle of the labyrinth. Yeah. I guess transports her into the, the labyrinth, and then she's got to find her way to the middle to win back her baby brother. She accepts this concept immediately. Yes, she does. Yeah, she's not like, oh, where am I? What the hell's going on? She's like, oh, okay, the castle's over there, so let's go. Like, and again, I guess that's part of the dream thing where she just accepts everything because yeah. as it as it happens to her. Mm-hmm. So the bulk of this film is Jennifer Connelly's character just kind of wandering through this labyrinth, mm-hmm. just meeting different creatures and characters. Mm-hmm. And there's not really a lot that happens. She just kind of meets them and like it just it kind of just jumps from one memorable little set piece to another. Yeah, completely. So the first person she meets is Hoggle, who's like the oh yeah yeah the, the, the gnome. Something. Something gnome, dwarf. But yeah, the first thing you see of him is uh, he's pissing into a pool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I forgot about that. (laughs) An oddly adult little joke. Yeah, quite a weird start to the sequence. I guess it kind of establishes that he's kind of antisocial. And actually, I really liked the first, that that again, quite dark, where the first one we see him doing, apart from pissing, is uh, he's just wandering around casually murdering fairies. Oh yeah, he is, isn't he? (laughs) And it's funny how like you see him spraying these little fairies and they like they scream and they go down and then the close up and it's a very vulnerable looking little girl as the fairy. It's mm. like, yeah, he's just, he's just straight up killing them. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's, it's kind of like Jennifer Connelly's like, you monster. And then, then it bites her and then she's like, oh, I guess it's okay. Because they bite when they're threatened. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, how sweet. 57. <laughs> how could you? Yeah. Poor thing. Ah! Bit me. <laughs> what did you expect fairies to do? So Ludo is this giant kind of plus size Wookiee. Who I just instantly fell in love with. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. But he's hanging upside down and he's being kind of tormented by these terrifying looking Well, there's these little kind of things with no heads but big hats. Or the hats are over their heads so they can't see them hmm, or something. Yeah. But they've got like these sticks with like what look like skinned like bird fetuses yeah really really not pleasant to look at no which are like bitey as well they've got like big fangs yeah again great visual but really really (laughs) creepy Mm -hmm. (laughs) no stop that (laughs) is that any way to treat someone who's trying to help you don't you want me to help you down Hmm? Ludo so at some point they end up in the bog of eternal stench Mm -hmm. which is again just a really great concept yeah (laughs) like it's both genuinely it's it's both ridiculously silly and low stakes it's like well what's the worst that can happen oh you'll smell forever yeah but then it's (laughs) but yeah it's also like oh actually comes to think i don't i wouldn't want that either (laughs) but yeah and this is where we meet my least favorite character Mm. Um, oh god he's so 
goddamn annoying. Yeah. The little fox who's called uh, Sir Didymus. Sir Didymus. <sighs> who is fucking useless. I just wanted Ludo to pick him up and just throw him away. Yeah, or just eat him or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's this very shrill, um, like, knight Mm. kind of character who thinks he's very brave and valiant but he's actually very easy to defeat mm-hmm. like he, he, he brings nothing to the table except just being annoying yeah he just delays the film <laughs> pretty much yeah I mean I did like that his dog was called Ambrosius mm. in fact I liked his dog the dog was really nicely animated so then they're just part of the gang for the rest of the film unfortunately mm. stop stop I say oh, please mm-hmm. we have to get across without my permission no one may cross please I only have a little time left <sighs> we've got to get out of this stench smell bad stench of what speakest thou the smell the air is sweet and fragrant and none may pass without my permission what about the uh, the David Bowie scene uh, the magic dance scene oh yeah we didn't talk about that did we is that with the baby yeah dance magic yeah that's the best song Easily, yeah. Did you notice? Uh, you must have done <laughs> the way he's like flinging the baby. Oh, of course, I noticed. Yeah, <laughs> but did you also notice that in all the long shots, the baby was so clearly just a doll? Like, yeah, yeah, so yeah. obviously just a yeah. doll. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and then I guess she gets to the castle, and there's this just uh, oh yeah, there's a weird scene with lots of staircases at different angles like that, mm. from that famous painting or whatever yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and I did like that I found it very creepy the way that David Bowie was just sort of walking around different angles and stuff mm. especially yeah. the way the baby's crawling around as well like yeah it's like oh it could fall like I don't yeah. know how it's going to fall because gravity doesn't seem to apply here but like. no <laughs> yeah so then eventually she jumps somewhere confronts him they have a conversation and then she's like oh wait you have no power over me mm. and then it's over yeah it's a really kind of <laughs> It's very abrupt, isn't it? It's a really he, abrupt Because he, he then just sort of sinks into the ground. He just, he just falls away and disappears. Yeah. He, he has no response to that at all. Yeah. He's not like, oh, damn. Nothing. Yeah. He's just he's, like, oh, well. <laughs> yeah, he's just gone. And then I guess she wakes up, which... Yeah, and that's, it's kind of how dreams sometimes end. Mm. When you just sort of think, oh, yeah, I'm dreaming. And then you wake up. Yeah. You just have like a sudden realisation of, oh, you have no power over me. And you wake up. And that's a good point, actually, yeah. And then she's awake... And she's just going through all her toys and stuff, and it's the toys of all the different characters and that. And she's like, oh, but I missed them or whatever. And then, oh, it was all just a dream. And then and then they're all there. And at that point, it's like, okay, so it wasn't a dream or it was a dream. If it was a dream, which, you know, I'm assuming that's the way, way I'm going, that means that now she's just having these hallucinations. Yeah. And yeah, she, she's just she, insane. Yeah, yeah she, she is just insane at this mm. point. I mean, I think I, I took it to be kind of a whole thing about how, like, again, because I think a lot of the film is about, like, adolescence and puberty almost. So I think it's like, yeah, I'm living in this kind of childish fantasy and maybe it's time to grow up and kind of be an adult and concentrate on serious things. Mm-hmm. But then you, you kind of says, well, if you still need us. And so maybe it's kind of about she's acknowledging that she can't live in this fantasy world forever and she has to kind of grow up and stuff. But maybe she's she's also kind of like, but, you know, I don't need to completely lose that side of myself. I can yeah. still have my fantasy life, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think I think maybe that's what it means. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, it just does end, end on a big weird dance party, mm. which I noticed even the, a lot of the villainous characters were there. Like the, yeah, there was a were... fiery there. I was like, I would never want to see one of those freaks again. Oh like, god. <laughs> yeah, great hoggle. You know, Sir Didymus, if you must. Uh, mm. You know, um, and Ludo, sure. But yeah, it was like everyone was there. <laughs> and yeah, and then the film very abruptly ends, and that's it. So yes, mm. and then it's just. David Barry singing again. It is, yeah. And remember, fair maiden, should you need us? Yes, 
should you need us for any reason at all. I need you, Hoggle. It, you do? I don't know why, but every now and again in my life, for no reason at all, I need you, all of you. Oh, you do? Well, why didn't you say so? <laughs> Drinking games? Yeah, let's get some drinking games. Okay, drink for thinking out loud. Okay, that's good. Yeah, lots of that. A lot of that. Not just from her. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, Hoggle does it quite a lot throughout the film as well. Yeah, I think everyone does, because a lot of the characters just are on their own. Mm. So, yeah. Drink every time David Bowie's crotch is very visible in the frame. Oh, yeah, I've, I've got that. Drink every time someone gets Hoggle's name wrong. Oh, yeah, he's called Hogwarts at one point, isn't he? I was yeah. like, oh, that's where you got it from, right? Yeah. Okay, Rowling. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Hedgeward. Hogwarts. Hoggle? Hoggle. Yes. Drink when the baby gets flung around unceremoniously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a fair bit. Yeah. Uh, drink every time you see Debbie Bowie's face in the scenery. Ooh, that's a good one, yeah. It's in the background of a lot of shots. Mm. Yeah, it's really, the, the detail. The detail of this film is so good. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. Really. Drink whenever Debbie Bowie plays with balls. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or as it turns out, somebody else plays with his balls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Drink every time Sir Didymus says Ambrosius. Yeah. When they're storming the castle, that section, you would just have to be like water falling. Mm. Like, you, you'd be passed out. Ambrosius, can we please talk about this? Ambrosius, if you don't turn around this second, I will never feed you again. Don't worry, Ambrosius. I think we've got them surrounded. So, at this point, we always talk about Patreon for a little bit. Yes. So, if you've enjoyed the episode so far, and if you've enjoyed the other 73 episodes or something oh, that wow, we've done... wow, someone's been counting. Yeah. <laughs> you can support us, if you like. So, go to patreon.com slash set. You can donate as much or as little as you want. And for no matter how much you donate, you get everything, which includes a bonus show where every week we review a film in the cinema. Yeah. And uh, once a month on that show, we will also review a film... Chosen by a patron yeah. supporter. So we've done Paddington in the past. Yeah. A film that's obviously not in cinema right now. Has a sequel, so we're not going to do it on the main show. Mm-hmm. And it was just fun to talk about. So, you know, things like that. Yeah. And also, if you were to support us on Patreon, we will give you a free 30-second advert slot once a month. Mm-hmm. Well, one Patreon once a month. No, no, no. Every, every, every Patreon gets one a month. Did I? Yes. How many people? You know, do you ever listen to our show? No. Should I? Yeah, of course. But I hear myself talk all the time. I hear you talk all the time as well. Oh, I, I can't be asked for yeah, the next no. two hours of it. Fair enough. No, all of our Patreons get one, if they want it. Not everyone claims it, mm-hmm. but they get one promo slot a month. So, yeah. yeah. Good investment. When do these happen? Am, usually, I, am I involved in this? Usually like around this part of the show. Well, like do, you, do you put them in? Yeah. yeah. I've not listened to the show for months. Well, maybe you should, Yeah. Why? I'm here now. I know, but I don't I'm know. I'm listening now. Sure. Okay, I guess this is your time to listen to it. But are you never curious what the finished product sounds like? I'm sure it's fine. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm so pleased you've got such a high opinion of it. Um, <laughs> Listeners who have your own podcast, please tell me, do you listen to your own podcast? No. I would love to know. Okay. I'll put that out there on social, see what people say. Mm-hmm.
Um, where were we? You can become a Patreon supporter for as much or as little as you like, between $2 and $15,000 a month. Yeah, everyone who does that gets access to our free movie review show and also a 30-second promo slot on the show where you can promote anything you like, such as... Such as, um, it could be your own podcast. Great thing to promote. Mm-hmm. could be your own business. I've got one of those. Yeah. What else could it be? This is always it's always the confusing part of the show. Mm-hmm. It could be a, a confusing little teddy bear that you keep by your dish sponges. Do it? Yep. What's that? Oh, yeah, it's like a hippo. So you could be promoting a, th- a little teddy bear that's like a hippo. It's not a teddy bear, it's like, it's China. It's, well, it's, it's, it's ceramic. Oh, well, if you like a ceramic hippo, yeah. then um, I can highly recommend them. They're good. They're uh, small. Uh, they're, they're not that good looking. And uh, I, I don't know where I'm going with this. I was, <laughs> I was, I was, I was to, concerned that it I was, was going to be they're small. They're not that good looking. They're much like John. <laughs> <laughs> well, you went there, not me. Um, yes. So uh, that's the kind of advertising caliber you can get at Beyond the Box Set. Mm-hmm. What else can people get from Patreon? You're really testing me. I'm not on it this week. There's another thing, but I've forgotten it. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, you can choose a film for us oh, to yes, do on yes, the main yes. show once a month. And we would love it if you were guest on the show, but that's absolutely optional. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were to guest, we can do it over Skype, so you can do it from anywhere in the world. Yes. The South Pole, for example. That'd be interesting. Although I'm at, it works it's, best if you have good recording equipment. On yes. You. Well, which you can do in the South Pole, but good internet is also quite vital. Yes, yes, so. yes. You know, anyway, you've got an internet connection. Yeah. I believe that's it. So, yeah, again, if you'd like to support the show, patreon.com slash set. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. We know you love box sets and the area outside of them. Do you ever wonder what people see in artists like Garth Brooks and Insane Clown Posse? There's a lot of hidden value in this music, and we want to understand why people are so dedicated to these artists. We're Think Outside the Box Set, and we almost accidentally stole the name of Beyond the Box Set. Join me, Cameron DeWitt. And me, Nathan Hunt. As we listen to artists that many people dismiss, maybe for good reason. Check out boxset.website. Or your preferred podcatcher. You've tried the best, now try the rest. All right, I guess the time for some sequels then. Okay. Away you go. Away I go, indeed. Okay, so my sequels this week are inspired by some research I did into the casting process for this film. Mm-hmm. So I did a little look in, looking into like how it was produced and who was in line for the parts. David Bowie actually was not the first choice to be the Goblin King. Oh, interesting. Do you happen to know who was? No. Michael Jackson. Ah. Uh- thought of him earlier. That would have been a very different film. Yes, it would. I don't know if it would have aged terribly well. No, particularly not with uh, any kind of crotch Any kind of crotch shots, the the baby snatching, just in general. (laughs) That would have been rough. Yeah. Um, And quite a lot of actresses auditioned for the role of Sarah, Mm -hmm. one of whom was actually the actress Jane Krakowski, who is best known as Jenna Maroney in Fursy Rock. Oh, hmm. Yeah. Okay. And I was like, oh man, I want to see that version of the film. Yeah. I want to see the film with like young Jenna Maroney as uh, Sarah. Yeah. But then I thought about it more and I thought, actually, I don't think I do want to see Jane Krakowski playing Sarah. Mm-hmm. If I want to see Jane Krakowski in Labyrinth, <laughs> I want her playing the Goblin King. Yeah, sure. Because <laughs> she's so over the top. Yeah. And I just could totally imagine her playing that character in a very different way to David Bowie but mm-hmm. so then that got me thinking about the fact that there's all these rumours that they're going to do a 30 Rock reunion mm-hmm. so that kind of inspired me 
for this because I thought what would be more perfect and more 30 Rock than to have Jenna Maroney from 30 Rock starring in an ill-fated remake of Labyrinth <laughs> like th- that would be an amazing so it as like a 30 Rock yeah show yes so it's 30 Rock but they're all working instead of working towards the girly show with Tracy Jordan yes Tracy Morgan Tracy Morgan Tracy, the character is Tracy Morgan I always forget I think Tracy I think Tracy Jordan is the character Tracy Morgan is the actor okay yeah okay sure so it's instead of it's they're working on that show they're working on the remake of The Labyrinth instead. yes okay okay yeah I'll let you go I was thinking like it could be a film maybe mm, it could course, be a yeah, film yeah. or a miniseries it doesn't really matter mm-hmm. but yeah if you've not watched Thirsty Rock this might not make a lot of sense to you unfortunately mm. but suffice to say Jane Krakowski plays Jenna Maroney who is a really high maintenance like diva mm-hmm. she's like she's the star of the girly show on Thirsty Rock mm. and she's just very over the top and very demanding and very high maintenance and all the other characters just have to work around the clock to kind of keep her mm-hmm. happy basically yeah she has a lot of tantrums and she's very demanding and she's just a, a parody of all those kind of you know high maintenance actresses I know it's my turn to do the dishes but I'm in character and if you make me do the dishes I will kill myself Jack is hiring a new cast member if it is a blonde woman I will kill myself ah! oh don't be so dramatic that's my thing and if you take it away from me I will kill myself and then you Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's a great show. Everyone should watch it. Uh, Do you need to go through any other characters to give context to your idea? I'm, I'll get there, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, we're going to open in the present day. Mm-hmm. So, it's five years after the girly show with Tracy Jordan has uh, finished production. Because mm-hmm. Thirsty Rock ended with this show that was... It was a show within a show in Thirsty Rock. Mm-hmm. So, the show within a show ends in the final episode, doesn't it? Yeah. And all the characters kind of go their separate ways. Mm-hmm. So, Liz Lemon, who was the Tina Fey character, who played like the head writer... Mm-hmm. She has been struggling a little bit since the girly show ended to land another good writing role. In fact, her most recent project was as the head writer on Marvel's Inhumans. <laughs> Ooh. So th- this film or TV reboot opens with her getting the news that that show has not been granted a second season. Mm-hmm. And her reaction will probably be, well, seems fair enough. Yeah. And we'll, <laughs> we'll probably get some like flashbacks because... 30 Rock was very big on the cutaways and flashbacks and things. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be lots of good cutaway humour here. Well, I hope it's good humour. Mm-hmm. Um, attempted humour. Sure. So yeah, I think we, this should definitely have some something to allude to the fact that she was really ill-suited to be writing a Marvel TV show. And that's probably why, she's probably the reason why it didn't work. She was just like making it, she was like, I don't know, like just making it up as, it, as, as she went along. Yeah. Like, what was wrong with that show? I didn't watch it. Was it badly written? Well, or it in just... humans? Yeah. Badly written... Not badly acted, but not not interesting. Just, what didn't didn't capture you? You just didn't no. really want to watch the next episode. Sure, I forced myself through it, mm-hmm. and I don't regret it. No, because now I can say I watched it. Yeah, and I'm still up to date on everything in the MCU. <laughs> but uh, oh god, it's a show I'm absolutely never going back to. Sure, I, fact, it was ha- cancelled, right? Yeah, yeah, it's been cancelled. But the fact that it was given so much hype is just phenomenal. Yeah, it's the only TV show so far to use IMAX cameras and it had a cinema release for the first two episodes and it's all been downhill since there maybe all of that was Liz Lemon's idea it's basically that show has been cancelled she's out of a job mm-hmm. and she kind of needs money she's worried she's got two kids and a stay at home husband to support because mm-hmm. Fersie Rock ended with her adopting two children oh yeah and she stays with um, the guy who's now in Westworld what's his name oh yeah um... oh, I don't know his name oh god 
I want to say Chris Pine, but it's not Chris Pine. James Marsden. James Marsden. James Marsden, yeah. Yes. She ends up with James Marsden and he becomes like a stay-at-home dad and she continues to work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, she's got to support her family. So she needs another gig, quick. Fortunately, she gets a call from her old friend and boss, Jack Donaghy, mm-hmm. who was the Alec Baldwin character who played her boss and the studio exec in Fairy Rock. Yeah. And he's also struggled to adjust a little bit since the show ended. So I think Fairy Rock ended with him leaving show business and becoming CEO of General Electric. Mm-hmm. He invented the seafood dishwasher, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I love Fairy Rock because it comes up with some great ideas. It's so good. Much I, like this film, it's like, a real ideas show. Like the see-through dishwasher, yeah. Why not? That's, Why doesn't that exist? That's yeah. great. Yeah. Oh, man, I want to stay through dishwasher. Yeah. I just want a dishwasher. Actually, I want a house. <laughs> you need a house to live in. I don't have a house right now. So she gets a call from her old friend and boss, Jack Donaghy, who's also struggled a little bit, despite inventing the seafood dishwasher, which maybe that didn't take off because they don't exist, mm-hmm. I don't think. So maybe as much as you'd like one, maybe people didn't actually want to watch their, the remains of their food being like washed off a plate. So mm. for whatever reason, he's kind of left... General Electric, and he's gone back to show. He's trying to get back into show business again. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's just bored, just marketing dishwashers, and he, he realised, as stressful as it was, his true passion was always show business. Yeah. So, anyway, so he reveals that he's currently producing a remake of the classic '80s cult hit *Labyrinth*. Mm. Yeah, surprising. And the production is experiencing some problems. Mm-hmm. So most of this is down to the fact that the David Bowie role has now been given to Jenna Maroney, mm-hmm. who only got the <laughs> she only got the gig. After the first choice of the part, Kate Blanchett, mm-hmm. who would be brilliant, <laughs> wouldn't she? Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jenna only got the part after Kate Blanchett was mysteriously kneecapped by a master assailant. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> and no other actresses on her calibre will risk taking the role. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, yeah. Sure, sure. Maybe any, yeah. maybe any time anyone enters a discussion, they get like a death threat. Yeah. <laughs> and there'll have to be a cutaway scene where someone who is obviously Jenna just runs up in like Tonya Harding kneecaps Kate Blanchett I think that'd be really funny to yes. give Kate Blanchett that little cameo right? yeah yeah I love that <laughs> so predictably Jenna is calling an absolute nightmare on the set first of all she refuses to work with a younger actress mm-hmm. so the role of Sarah is now being performed entirely by CGI mm-hmm. oh, okay <laughs> yeah. bad CGI too I'm thinking of a lot of like very Fersey Rock-esque kind of visual humour is going to be a big part of this yeah so now she's actually delivering all of her lines on set to uh, Kenneth, dressed in a green suit covered in yellow balls. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's, that's how he's back in it. So. Yeah. Henson Studio. I mean, he is currently the head of NBC. Yeah, th- that didn't work out either. <laughs> okay, his, sure. his real, his real like, goal in life has always just been to be Jenna's you know, humble servant, mm-hmm. the smithers to her Mr. Burns. Also, Jim Henson Studios have dropped out of the production because of all the trouble on set, mm. meaning they're having to use off-brand Muppets, mm-hmm. which are all going to look incredibly cheap and, frankly, terrifying. It's a very troubled set, but nevertheless, Liz signs up because she needs the money. So she gets the job, she signs on as the head writer, and she reunites the old writer's room from Fursy Rock to help her to try and turn this sinking ship around. Mm-hmm. So it'll mean all the characters who were the writers also get a role in this. So it's a real kind of like... So she like pulled them out of different projects? Yeah. So we can have... I've not really written this, but they could definitely have a montage of all the writer characters. I'd like to say that they're all doing really well, but then Liz Lemon finds a way to get them all back. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So they're all writing on things like, you know, the next Marvel film, the next mm. Leonardo DiCaprio film. Sure. Well, I guess Tufa should be writing on Black Panther or something. Sure. Because uh, he's black. Well, because that, that, that was his, his joke all the time. You know, I he, suppose, yeah. yeah. I don't know. How would Judd be... Is it Judd? The Judah Freelander character? Yeah. Is it Judd? How would he be succeeding? How would Lutz be succeeding? <laughs> Lutz never succeeded. <laughs> well, that'd be really funny if Lutz was, like, actually the only one who couldn't come back because he was, like, writing on, 
I don't know, like Orange the New Black or something. He genuinely was like a huge success. Like, <laughs> Maybe Lots has made, has made his own show. Yeah. Maybe Lots has made a show of 30 Rock. Ooh, well, that's interesting, yeah. He's made a show of a show of a show. So he's actually the real puppet master. Yeah. yeah. Portraying all of his co-workers really poorly, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Wait, like he's acting everyone? No, no, no. I mean, he's like, he's, he's written oh, what, them to yeah, be... Yeah, but why not? He could, he could be playing all the roles, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. That, so, that, that'd be good fun until we get to him playing Tufa. Yes. Oh, wow, yeah. Then, then, it would, then it'd, be, it'd be a difficult line, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so it's a real kind of let's get the whole band back together kind of scenario, basically. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that Liz and Jenna haven't actually spoken in several years mm-hmm. because Jenna thinks being seen around children might age her, so she just avoids Liz altogether. <laughs> she's a bird. Sure. So. <laughs> That's good. So this whole TV show or film is going to kind of follow them kind of repairing their friendship a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. So Liz and the, and the gang start trying to like work on the script, which is while the film is already like mid-production, so they're already behind schedule, over budget, and just, you know, it's a nightmare, but they're constantly rewriting to try and make it work. Uh, in the process of it, Liz discovers that Tracy Jordan has fallen on hard times after his wife Angie finally divorced him Aww. and took all his money. Oh, no. I know, I really believed in those crazy kids. But <laughs> he's now reduced to making ends meet by starring in bad TV movies with Lindsay Lohan, mm-hmm. which is a fate worse than death, really. Mm. So out of pity, she convinces Jack to hire him to do some voice work on the film. Mm-hmm. So who do you think, I mean, there's an obvious answer, but who do you think would be the best <laughs> character in Labyrinth to now have the voice of Tracy Morgan? I'm thinking Ludo. I was thinking it has to be Hoggle. Mm. Hoggle is Tracy Jordan? No, no, I'm really thinking Ludo. Ludo, okay. I, I can see that. I mean, it's limited dialogue. Well, yeah, exactly. I guess, that, I guess if Tracy Jordan's really lazy, that'd be great. All he needs to do is just turn up and say, Smell bad. Yeah. And he's too lazy to eat. Someone even fucks that up. Like, he's too yeah. lazy to do that well. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect, perfect. Yeah. Maybe maybe he like has had, he's had a complete breakdown. He doesn't even realise he's acting. They're just like dragging him in and he's just... Oh yeah, so so, so he doesn't he, maybe like he yeah he doesn't want to be acting or anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like oh, could we we need a name to attach to this. Let, let, let's get him somehow. But he doesn't want to act, and so they're like following him around with a microphone trying to get him to say phrases. And then they just put it into Luton. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Perfect. <laughs> so yeah, so this is mostly just going to be a bunch of ridiculous low budget reshoots of films from the original film, uh, with even more absurd things happening. Obviously, uh, intercut with scenes of Jenna just being a, a complete nightmare. Mm-hmm. And Tracy causing havoc, possibly unknowingly. Mm-hmm. And even though it's 30 years later, all of the footage is going to look much, much worse than the original film. So it's going to be really... <laughs> like, the puppets are going to, like I say, really off-brand and terrifying. Yeah. The CGI is going to be really bad. It's just going to be, yeah, disastrous. Sure, sure. Also, Duncan Jones, David Bowie's son, yeah. is originally set to direct the film. but he uh, Otherwise known as Zowie Bowie. Zowie Bowie, yeah. Never forget. <laughs> But he quits when... Uh, well, I was, I was going to say, actually, that he quits when Tracy keeps making fun of the Warcraft movie. Mm-hmm. But maybe he quits because Tracy keeps co- insisting on calling him Zowie Bowie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's better. So he just quits because people are antagonising him. So he walks out. <laughs> also, Jack Jack Donaghy keeps trying to work product placement into the movie to cover the mm-hmm. rapidly spiralling budget. Yeah. Which, of course, makes no sense in a fantasy movie. No. So it's really hard to do. So instead of a magical crystal ball... The Goblin King is now watching Sarah through an Apple Watch. Okay. Instead of the poisoned apple, she eats a Big Mac with uh, Shenzhen sauce. <laughs> and the Bog of Eternal Stench is now the Walmart of Eternal Bargains, which everyone actually <laughs> really wants to go to. <laughs> sure. So they struggle through the production, ending with a shambolic filming of the staircase scene, mm. which has actually been built to scale. 
Okay. They've actually created, the whole, rather than do it with effect, they've built this whole ridiculous room full of staircases. Mm-hmm. Meaning people keep getting lost in it, <laughs> tripping over things. And in fact, the baby who plays Toby does actually go missing for several days. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. But after many crises, they somehow managed to piece together a finished film. And in the process, Liz and Jenna managed to repair their friendship and make mm-hmm. amends. Yeah, and it ends on a kind of a sweet note. And then we cut to six months later, and the film is released. And to everyone's complete surprise, it makes $300 million at the US box office, yeah. and Jenna wins an Oscar. What? <laughs> well. <Wow. laughs> yeah. And uh, that's that's pretty much it. That's the end of Labyrinth, a 30 Rock production. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Let's see what you've got. Okay, so for me, when I write my ideas, I generally... I try and think about them for a bit and sort of get a basic idea in my head and then sort of, well, I say put pen to paper, put fingertips <laughs> to the keyboard. Yeah. And then try and turn it into a story. This time, I tried that. I couldn't think of anything and I started thinking about casting. Okay. It's like, how do you recast David Bowie as the Goblin King? It's a tough one, yeah. It is a very tough one. I mm. couldn't find anybody who was like, oh my God, yeah, that's the one. Mm-hmm. But I did find a fair few people who... I thought, well, yeah, yeah, maybe. Each one comes with their own style of doing it. So some would fit for a straight remake. Right. Like some might look like him. Some might sing like him. Everything's a bit different. And I really couldn't decide who I was going to cast. So I just thought, you know what? I'm going to cast everybody. So I've got five ideas. Okay. (laughs) They're all quite short. Okay. Um, Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be a three-hour episode. Um. So the first one is going to be a straight adaptation of the film to stage. Like as in a stage musical? Make it a musical. Right, okay. Exciting. It kind of already is a musical, but it's going to be a bit bit more in that direction. Sure. So this one would be starring Lady Gaga okay. as the Goblin King. Okay. That, that's I think that's a, a good one, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she's going to be performing her own music okay. um, in a format which will tell pretty much the same story. Okay. So it's going to be live puppets on stage. There's only essentially only going to be two human characters, I guess. Yeah. She's going to be singing her own songs to try and tell the same story. So, for example, you know, Sarah's weird obsession with the Goblin King mm-hmm. is going to be bad romance. Sure, okay. When Sarah first sees the goblins for the first time, and she's like, oh my god, what are these people? They're then going to sing Born This Way. Okay. Magic Dance, translates to Just, just Dance. Just Dance, yeah, I'll sing it That's an obvious one. Yeah. And uh, the, the bit where Sarah says, piece of cake, that's when uh, Gaga's going to sing Poker Face. Yeah. Calling a bluff sort of thing. Oh. I'm sure there'll be others. Okay. But there's a, there's a fair few songs that can't, that line up. Yeah. So yeah, the Labyrinth as a stage show starring Gaga. Okay, who's going to play Sarah? I'm not sure. I've, I've only managed to think of one person who could play Sarah at this age, and I've cast her in another story as well. Okay. Um, it's Alison Brie from Community and Glow. She's like 35. She didn't look 35, though. She looks it, but she's not, she's not 16. Let me, let me look this up. Um, Alison Brie is... Oh, gosh, she is, isn't she? She... What is it? 1982. What does that make her? 35. How is she 35? She looks way younger. Like, I mean, like, in Community, yeah. she's always playing someone who's underage. True. And that only finished three years ago. Yeah. I mean... I absolutely would love to see a version of this film with Alison Brie. Like, I think that is good casting. Mm. But as a 16-year-old, you're pushing it. Can you think of a 16-year-old who can play? Uh, well, I don't know that many 16-year-olds. We, well, we, we always run into this when we're trying to cast you. There you go. Okay, fine. Well, I guess on the stage as well, but you can get away with it more. So, mm. fine. Alison Brie and Lady Gaga. I, yeah, I, I think that's a good... Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. All right. Um, my next one. This one's going to be set in England about 500 years ago. Okay. And for the Goblin King, well, this is it's an origin story. A Goblin King origin story. Yes. Okay. Casting Robert Downey Jr. Okay, as a young David Bowie. Essentially. Okay. I can't wait till this turns out. Well, so he's going to be playing a very upper-class lord who is only out for himself, doesn't care for anybody else. Absolute horrible person. The worst character you can imagine. Okay. One day he walks past a beggar on the street, an old lady with a a deformed face, plenty of warts, a big nose, and slightly green skin. Mm -hmm. A witch. Yeah, Um, I I connected those dots, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) She puts her hand out to ask for money and he pushes her out, out of his way into the mud. She picks herself up and watches him walk away. She places a curse on him to banish him to the world of goblins. Oh. Actually, thinking about it with the casting of him being a little bit older, like, it's 500 years ago. Sure. So, ageing isn't really a, a thing here. He'd look worse anyway. Yeah, David Bowie doesn't look 500 years old. I mean, he might do now. Yeah. <laughs> Too soon? <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> um, okay, anyway. Uh, that night, when he goes to sleep, he appears in the land of goblins in what he thinks is a dream. Okay. This film is going to be about exploring the world, creating an army of goblins, fighting off rival groups mm-hmm. um, to claim a lot of land as his own, commanding a castle be constructed in his name, and uh, to guard the castle, a gigantic labyrinth to be built. He styles himself in a crazy fashion and has a perfect singing voice. He never realises that he's not in a dream, and over time he forgets his original life. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, I would love to see Robert Downey Jr. in in a David Bowie wig, like in those yeah. outfits. That would be very entertaining. So there'd be a transition. Mm. So at the start, Robert Downey Jr. is doing his sort of Sherlock Holmes type thing, yeah, where he's putting on a bad British accent, yeah. And uh, I think he'd do it because I know that he's doing Doctor Doolittle uh-huh. uh, next year, I think. Sure. So I guess that Robert Downey Jr. has got to that point in his career where he's just like, yeah, I'll do anything. Yeah, yeah sure. So yeah, I could see him. Yeah. Also, we know that Robert Downey Jr. can sing because he had that hideous song at the end of... Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> what was it called? Good Night and Good... Lo- no, what was that film we did? Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, yeah. Mm. <laughs> okay, so the next one is going to be a straight sequel. Okay. 30 years later, a reboot. And uh, well, A reboot or a sequel? That's the same, I guess. No, is it following re- the story not, not, or is it remaking it? A remake and a reboot are different things. Okay. So it's rebooting the franchise as a sequel? Yeah. Okay, sure. So, set 30 years later. Okay. Sarah, still played by Jennifer Connelly. Sure. Why not? Give us some um, work. It's been a while, it seems. <laughs> she's now a single mum okay. with a teenager. Okay. The two of them have an argument, as teenagers and mothers very often do. Mm-hmm. And to finish the argument, Sarah screams out, I wish the goblins would come and take you away right now! Ugh. And the daughter disappears. I mean, she knows this is going to happen. It's happened, but this is... this is, yeah. Well, yeah, maybe it was deliberate, but... Oh, what a terrible mother. Wow. Okay. Well, you know, sometimes an argument can all go out of hand. Yeah, you and know you, when your mother you, summons you, demons yeah. from the Neverworld to take you away from the forever? <laughs> if my mum did that once, she did it a thousand times. <laughs> Actually, I would I would believe that your mum would do that to you based on what we've learned over the course of this podcast. Like, <laughs> okay, so the daughter disappears, and behind Sarah appears the Goblin King. Okay, played by Jack Black. Ooh, I like that. So, so the Goblin King's put on a bit of weight. Yeah. 
So are we, are we going to acknowledge that? Like, oh yeah, I went with this as like a Jumanji two style reboot. Okay, that is a reboot. There's yeah. a sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so since Sarah embarrassed the Goblin King in front of all his disciples thirty years ago, he has lost his power over them or lost the respect of them. Okay. So the labyrinth is now a thriving, beautiful world with a well-mapped-out underground system, <laughs> complete with oyster cards. The castle itself is completely uninhabited, apart from the Goblin King, who has no followers anymore. He's lost his fantastic looks and voice completely in the last 30 years. Well, Jack Black's still got a good voice. Yeah, but not a David Bowie voice. No, I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure Jack Black could play a bad singer. Oh, sure, okay, if, that's if, part if, of if it. If he yeah, needed okay. to. He's David Bowie and he's let himself go. Yeah, I like it. He kind of is. <laughs> that kind of is a very good description of Jack Black in general. <laughs> David Bowie, but he'd let himself go. Yeah. yeah, I like that. So it's actually really not that difficult for Sarah to uh, rescue her daughter, because, sure. like I say, the underground system. Like, <laughs> she just gets the tube straight there. Yeah. It's, it's like three stops. <laughs> but in doing so, the two of them take pity on the Goblin King, because mm-hmm. now he's got no respect. He's just begging them to help him in any way. And, uh, yeah, they take pity on him. They take him into the real world permanently, where he can live a normal human life, and he's very grateful. Ah, okay. I think that's a movie as well. Like, the Goblin King trying to, like, just get a job. Like, you know, just trying to adjust to the real world. Well, that absolutely leads on to my next one. Right, okay. Which is a fairly similar idea. So the next one is going to be a TV show. Okay. Where Neil Patrick Harris will star as the Goblin King. I get it. These are good. I know, You've right? Done very well with the casting. I this know. Week. I'm really happy with it. This all happened in like half an hour. I don't know where this came from. <laughs> so Neil Patrick Harris starring as the Goblin King in a weekly 20 minute TV show. Mm-hmm. The goblins are doing all the heavy lifting of fetching babies for him to convert. <laughs> okay. What? No, no, that makes sense. I don't know why. Just the idea that there's like a little cottage industry of baby fetching. Just... <laughs> <laughs> to do this, they need to open portals into the human world to steal babies. Sure. Sometimes the Goblin King himself likes to go through the portals to encourage people into getting lost in his labyrinth right. for his own entertainment. Sure. Which is obviously how this happens. This first film. One day, due to a workplace error... <laughs> Um, the an, gob- ad- an admin error. Yeah, an admin error, yeah. The goblins close the portal when the Goblin King is still in the human world. Right, okay. So, he's now sealed off from the Goblin world completely, which cuts the link to his powers. Mm-hmm. And he's now just a normal human in the human world, which he does not understand. Classic fish-out-of-water comedy. Okay. So it's um, kind of like, what was that Amy Adams film? Where she plays a princess? Enchanted? Enchanted, is it like Enchanted? I've not seen it. Uh-huh. And uh, hilarity ensues when uh, the goblins try to rescue him, but don't know where he is. So they open their portals in just many inappropriate places. Okay, good. So the, the, the goblins are looking for him. Mm. What kind of inappropriate places? Ooh, I don't know, just like a boardroom meeting. <laughs> okay, so is that going to be like a little side plot where the goblins Probably, are just con- yeah. constantly just popping up in random places? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. And my last one. Okay. This one is called... I've actually given us a proper title and everything. Oh, wow. Okay, this is the big one. The big yeah. finale. Right. Labyrinth 2, Revenge of the Goblin Queen. Revenge of the Goblin Queen. Okay. Mm. So we pick up with the scene of uh, Sarah saying to the Goblin King, you have no power over me. Mm-hmm. And then him disappearing into the ground. Sarah going back to the human world. Once she's gone, a figure is revealed in the shadows with a fantastic silhouette, including a wig with about a one meter diameter, <laughs> giant shoulder pads and very high heels. Okay. I will avenge you, my love. And she steps into the light, and the Goblin Queen is Tilda Swinton. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. 
inspired. In the Goblin King's absence, Tilda gains control of the Goblin world and organises all the goblins together into a large, somewhat disorganised, strike force. She commences an attack on the human world in search of Sarah and Toby. Eventually she finds Sarah and Toby, only to have all the goblins beaten by Sarah's friends, Ludo, Hoggle, the fox. Sir Didymus. Sir Didymus. And Ambrosius. Um, and uh, some of those other goblins who seem to join in at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Even the worm from the, the start of the little fight. Oh, how's he going to hold up in like a physical combat situation? I don't know, but he does. He gets creative. Okay, sure. Maybe he's actually quite strong, hmm. and so he can get under people's feet and make them slip over. No, I think it, he should be like the worms in the computer game Worms, so he can just like... So he's got like a bazooka. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like it, I like it. So for fear that uh, Tilda is going to lose to Sarah and uh, and die, just like Jareth did when he faced her, she flees back to the Goblin world. Okay. So she goes back to the Goblin world to regroup the army and uh, come up with a plan B. In her chambers, she decides she needs to ally with the Goblin god. Right. Oh my god, there's so many layers of Goblin hierarchy here. A being who has never seen eye to eye with, with her before, okay. but may do now after Jareth was beaten so easily. So Tilda casts some spells, and in the middle of the room there is smoke, a lot of winds and special effects, and the goblin god fades in out of thin air. She will also have a fabulous outfit. Okay. Oh, it's another woman. It is another woman. Great. And it's going to be played by Cher. <gasps> <laughs> I'm very happy. And so they decide to unite. Take down Sarah. Cher can't actually step in the human world. Okay. Part of the rules of her... Being a god, being, sure. Yeah. But being a god, she can do something fantastic. She can bring back Jareth. Okay. Is she going to bring David Bowie back from the dead? If anyone can do it, it's Cher. True, yeah. <laughs> so Cher waves her hands around, and as she disappears, Jareth is left in her space, kneeling with his head down. This is just a straight recasting of the David Bowie role. Okay. And the only person I could think of for that... Is Jared Leto. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Controversial. But Controversial? Yeah. But I think it, if anyone can do it, it's him. Yes. I would argue that Tilda would do it better, but we've already got her as the Goblin Queen. But mm. okay. No, I'll, I'll give you that. Like, it, it would either be really good or insufferable, but yeah, okay. He's not in it for long. Okay. So he looks up to Tilda, and with a gleam in his eye, he says, now it's our time. Okay. And then the film ends on a cliffhanger. Ooh, okay. So then they're going to invade the human realm. Essentially, yeah. Okay. Which, for laziness of not being able to write, I just thought, oh, you just end on a, Oh, cool, okay. You create some kind of labyrinth cinematic franchise. <laughs> I guess. I, yeah. I like it. I think they were all really good. Yeah, I'm really not sure which one is my favourite. Maybe the uh, the Jack Black one. I think the Jack Black one is the kind of thing I could really see, yeah. The Neil Patrick Harris one could work as well. Yeah. I just, I just want to see all of these people dressed as David Bowie. <laughs> yeah. that, like, I'm really picturing it. Mm. Yeah, you've done very well this week. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I tried. Good. Like I say, a solid half hour. Solid half hour of work. That, by your standards, that is, yeah, that's a <laughs> lot. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, very good. Guess we should get some listener submissions. Guess we better add. Okay. What's my uh, drinking game this week? I think you should drink every time one of our listeners references another film or franchise within this. Sure. Or drink every time somebody recasts David Bowie. But actually, there's not as much of that. Yeah, maybe just drink every time it references some, some other franchise. I don't know. Okay. So, yeah, or just, just, just drink when you want to drink. You, know, you don't have to force yourself. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a rare week with not many puns, because I guess Labyrinth is a hard word to pun on. Mm. There's a couple. There's a couple. True, okay. But not enough to sustain a drinking game. Okay, 
So I will drink on puns and I will drink on David Bowie recastings. Cool. Okay. That was my most difficult thing. Cool. Okay. Uh, so Andrew J. Hawthorne, similar to you actually, had uh, the Goblin Queen. Mm-hmm. Sarah is abducted and taken back to the labyrinth after Jareth's death sends the place into chaos. Mm-hmm. She must fight for her friends and her life to escape, but ultimately sees the only way to win is to take the throne for herself. Mm. So she becomes Jennifer Connelly becomes the Goblin Queen. Oh man, that's good. That is a good idea. Yeah, I like to see that. Ben Vasher said Minotaur and me. Mm-hmm. It's like Marley and me, but with a Minotaur. Sure. Yeah. Luke Hooft said a prequel set many centuries ago about another small boy who was kidnapped by a previous Goblin King. Only this time his sister, or whoever, is unable to rescue him, and he grows up to be Jareth, who has no memory of his life on Earth. You don't realise that the boy is Jareth until right at the end. I like it. Yeah. It's not a million miles off my uh, Robert, yeah, Robert Downey yeah, Jr. one, yeah. but um, no, it's good, because I like, I, like, I like the twist at the end. You don't know it's Jareth, yeah. Mm. Also, the person... I love a twist at the end. Yeah. There is somebody looking for the boy, though, and it's his young, dark-haired mother called Sarah, who's going to be played by Jennifer Connelly, just to make it super weird. So, Jareth is Sarah's son? Well, no, because it's set centuries ago, so it's more like, maybe it's Sarah's, like, great-great-great-great-grandmother or something. Got it, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they're related. So it's uh, all a bit, it's Incest all a bit, as well. It's all a bit Game of thrones yeah. Mm. Okay. <laughs> What well, reactions we just had to that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very telling. Ooh, incest. Ooh, a bit of incest, eh? Yeah. Uh, Mike Carey suggested Labyrinth 2, but this time the labyrinth is one of those things where you have to tilt the board so the ball doesn't fall into a hole. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. yeah. Uh, Megan Knoll says, Toby, the baby, now a teenager, finds a way into the world of the labyrinth. Mm-hmm. But since Jareth died, it has fallen into disrepair and Toby can take up the crown and fix it all. But should he leave the world he knows behind? So I guess it's Toby's turn to enter the labyrinth, and much like your one with Jareth gone, mm. it's just become like up for grabs, and then maybe Toby becomes a Goblin King. Okay. Is what we're going for there. Liking it, liking okay. it. Phil Catterall says, Labyrinth 2. It's all the bog of eternal stench, and the movie has smell vision <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah. Favourite one so far. <laughs> cool. Jacob Ben, his idea was Hoggle, a labyrinth story. Mm-hmm. A prequel about Hoggle, uh, who was who was a boy. That, this is actually really interesting. So Hoggle was initially a boy who came to the labyrinth and decided to return home, only to become more and more disappointed by the real world that he returned to. So he spends his adult life trying to return to the labyrinth. He eventually does so, but only after becoming cursed to be, mm-hmm. I guess, a goblin or mm-hmm. a, whatever he was. Whatever yeah. he was, yeah. So yeah, so maybe Hoggle was once a human. Okay, okay. but wh- why? What is there in the labyrinth? What's 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 good about that world? It seems pretty magical and exciting. Maybe he just really doesn't like the real world. Does it? It is. It's a magical world. But it's almost all of it is a wasteland. True, true. Apart true. from the bog of eternal stench, which somehow seems to have an ecosystem. Well, maybe he's just got a really <laughs> shit home life. Who knows? <laughs> he didn't go into that much detail. Um, Walt Williams said, 90 minutes of nothing but dance magic dance." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Solid. Yeah. Absolutely solid. I'm, I'm just drinking for everything. Now you're just now. drinking <laughs> willy-nilly. Laura Oliver Atchison says, maybe this is more of a short film, but something that shows that Jareth regularly kidnaps children in the way that he kidnapped Toby, but previous siblings have either not noticed or been secretly relieved. Oh. So Jareth takes the anger and resentment and offers the abandoned children eternal life in return for them helping to torment other abandoned children. Mm-hmm. So this is going to reveal that all of the goblins in the Goblin Kingdom started out as kidnapped children. 
Nice, nice. Yeah. I made that assumption already, but I'd like to see the story of it. Yeah. Blokebusters. Mm-hmm. They've submitted quite a detailed one this week. So Sarah has grown up and had a family, but she still sees all of her friends from the labyrinth. You know, I guess they just come and visit in yeah. the bedroom or whatever. Uh, however, she's the only one who ever sees them, obviously. No one mm. else ever sees them. They've been keeping her informed about the Goblin King and his slow decline after failing to ensnare her with his magical codpiece, which she uses to create a successful book series. Mm-hmm. I think this means she uses the stories that they tell her rather than, okay, the, yeah. than the codpiece itself. Yeah, yeah. Great. Uh, so one day they come to inform her of the Goblin King's death and that a new king has been found. She agrees to come back to the labyrinth and help out once more, mostly to get inspiration for one last book. Mm-hmm. Her daughter follows her and realises that her mother's books were real. She runs away and gets found by the new king, who we don't get to see. Mm-hmm. Doesn't appear on camera. Sarah then goes through the old labyrinth again, trying to find her daughter, with many of the obstacles being much harder than she remembers. She finally gets to the centre and discovers that the new Goblin King is in fact her brother Toby, who's now all grown up. Mm. Mm. We see flashbacks showing that the Goblin King visited him over the years, grooming him to be his replacement. Mm-hmm. He offers her a choice. Either Sarah or her daughter leaves, but not both. Ooh. At this point, the old gang arrives, so Hoggle and Ludo and Ambrosius and Sir yeah. Digimon, whatever he was called. Sir Digimon. Didymus, Didymus. Didymus okay. <laughs> so they all arrive and they bull rush the Goblin King and hold the guards at bay, allowing Sarah to leave with her daughter. Mm-hmm. She does. She rushes home with a final look at her old friends, who she knows she'll never see again. And then she goes back to the real world and finishes her book series and tries to move on with her life. So, mm. ah. That's very... Closing. Yeah, that feels like it was, yeah, it's closing the chapter. Mm. Another quite lengthy one from uh, Ono Lit Class, at Ono Lit Class Pod. Okay. Sarah is grown up, has a daughter of her own, and they're arguing about the future, or college, or whatever. (laughs) This is their words. (laughs) Sounds like I wrote this. Yeah. (laughs) Sarah's kid, who is kind of a pouty, pissy teenage girl, remembers the old stories her mum used to tell her about her brother-retrieving adventures, and she facetiously makes the wish that the Goblin King would come and take her mom away. Mm-hmm. So the daughter turns on to Jennifer Connelly and says, I wish the Goblin King would take you away forever, whatever the line was. Mm-hmm. And of course, he does. So now the daughter has to navigate the labyrinth and follow in her mom's footsteps to save her. Meanwhile, Sarah is surprised to find that the Goblin King who has kidnapped her is not the one she remembers, because we're not going to be CGI David Bowie. That's not happening. <laughs> They're very clear on that. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's a new king who has taken over from Jareth and is played by whatever contemporary glam rock superstar is available. Oh, that's lazy writing. Well... You need, you need to commit and say someone. Well, no, to be fair, they have suggested the lead singer from Panic! at the Disco, Brendan Urey. No, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know them that well. Weirdly, I was just about to say Brandon Flowers. Brandon from the, Flowers. From the Killers. Maybe? Hmm. Yeah, possibly. I've never seen. I don't no, know no, the but, the, but the name they threw out there was very similar. Brendan Urie, yeah, Brandon Flowers. Brendan, Brandon, yeah, whatever. Uh, and actually, he's, this person is not a very good king. He's kind of hopeless. Okay. And he leapt at the chance to kidnap Sarah because if anyone can help him to take back the labyrinth from the monsters, it'll be the woman who kicked the Goblin King's butt in the first place when he, she was just a kid. Mm-hmm. So Sarah and the new Jareth team up, and eventually Sarah's kid makes it through the labyrinth and joins them. Mm-hmm. And the three of them work together and fight off evil Muppets, maybe an evil Goblin King usurper played by Lady Gaga, mm. all to a kicking throwback synth-pop soundtrack. We all learn a lesson about family in the end, I guess. And then that's it. Like, bam, nailed it. At me, Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, thank you for that. Very nice. False Starts podcast, at False Starts pod. Oh my God, there's more. There's more. 13 years later, the baby from Ghostbusters 2 is a teenager. <laughs> I'm guessing okay. it's the same baby. I don't know. <laughs> the Goblin King has been watching him and entices him into the labyrinth with a kick-ass song and the power of crotch growth. 
<laughs> which a teenage boy will be very, very you know, attracted to. <laughs> Bowie introduces Ghostbusters teenage baby to the Goblin Princess, who would have been David Bowie in drag, but then obviously he's dead. So, but she, and she's a gross Goblin girl. Mm-hmm. So the Goblin Princess is a, is a disgusting, ugly Goblin girl. So Babyface decides that this is a pretty rubbish deal and decides to escape. And the rest of the movie is just a remake of the first Labyrinth in reverse, as rather than trying to get to the centre of the maze, he tries to escape it. He's going to meet a bunch of core characters, and Jennifer Connelly's going to have a very brief cameo, because she's far too famous at this point in time to be in this film. (laughs) It's also going to be directed by Brian Henson, which is Jim Henson's son. Okay. And there's extra Bowie songs, and there's going to be no weird fiery scenes. I don't think they like the fiery (laughs) My Blue Bronco, at My Blue Bronco, just said, Sarah takes on Pan's Labyrinth. Okay. That'd be good. Yeah. yeah. Bit of Guillermo del Toro. Mm-hmm. Uh, film Me Up at Film Me Up Reviews. The Goblin King is dead, and we discover that Toby has inherited the title. That's a popular idea. Yep. Although he is the king, he is not seen as the truer by some of the inhabitants of the labyrinth. Sarah must help him to fight to maintain his position as the Goblin King with the help of some familiar faces from the first movie. Mm-hmm. And then maybe it becomes a trilogy, not unlike Lord of the Rings, where they have a quest to battle in every movie. That, or like the film Merlin, in which it's Sarah's destiny to make her brother the Goblin King. A new puppet character could teach Toby to use some kind of magic. Mm-hmm. So lots of ideas there. Mm-hmm. Uh, two more. At one Aussie nerd just said, I have a great idea for a sequel, but since David Bowie's dead, can we just play the magic dance for two hours? <laughs> sure. And at Gidget Von LaRue from Retro Cinema said, Sarah is now an older lady with children that find the globe and go back to the maze with all the characters now older. It's mm-hmm. going to be directed by Frank Oz. And the music's going to be new versions of David Bowie's originals from the first film. Okay. So yeah. I like it. Very good. And those are our sequel ideas. Good. And I'm out of beer. Great. So, yeah, if you have a sequel idea for Labyrinth or any film we've done in the past, please let us know. We are Beyond the Box Set. You can find us at beyondtheboxset.com. Our podcast is available on all good podcasting platforms, including iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Spotify, the new Google podcasting app. We should be on all of them. If we're not on, then let us know and we'll try to be on them. You can also find us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search Beyond the Box Set or at Beyond the Box Set on Twitter. As Harry mentioned, we are on Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash beyond the box set. And you can also get merch at Tee Public. And if you like the show, I've not mentioned this in a while, but leave us a review. It's, it's nice. Leave us a review on your chosen podcasting platform because it really helps us to find new listeners. Mm. Yeah. And so next week. Next week it's you. It's my choice, yes. So oh we're leaving behind. What? Oh, sorry. Oh, John's choice. So yeah, we're leaving behind the um, Sing Your Way to an Oscar season now. Which, mm-hmm. So we're going to have just a little period of just doing any old film that comes into our heads. Any old piece of any shit. Any old piece of shit. So I've decided to do a film starring an actor who's cropped up on Beyond the Box set before, once or twice, I think. Well, at least once. One of his most famous films. Probably one of the most quotable films ever made. And yet I've not seen it. I don't know if you've seen it or not. But uh, anyway, to break the suspense, we're going to be watching a film called Jerry Maguire. Starring Tom Cruise. Oh, no. Have you seen it? Yeah. You have? Yeah. Do you not like it? I don't remember loving it. No. I'm always surprised you've seen any film, so <laughs> we've not already covered. So. Be always surprised when I've not seen a film as well. I know, I'm just constantly surprised like, by oh it. Oh my God, you've not seen The Usual Suspects? Yeah. Oh my God, you've seen Jerry Maguire? Yeah. Like, what, do I, what, yeah. what do I do here? Just, I don't know. I'm just constantly surprised by you. Jerry well, Maguire. Jerry Maguire, yeah. How did that make your list? Honestly, it just occurred to me that it would be an interesting film to do. Yeah, right, sure. I don't know why it came into my head, but I guess we've been thinking about Tom Cruise because every time we go to the cinema, we see Mission Impossible 5, <laughs> 6, whatever. That trailer. I'm sure we're going to see it again in 10 oh, minutes. Oh, like, God, I know it off by heart. Yeah. Ugh. 
so I'll just I, I think Tom Cruise is subliminary subliminary is subliminarily just in my head at this point. You know, one of the things that I love about going to the cinema and seeing a film is that I know that once I've seen that film, I will never, never see, see the trailer for it again. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, Mission Impossible is It's the is curse different. of going to the cinema every week, isn't it? It is true, yeah. It's a heavy burden. Oh, God. Well, speaking of which... We should probably go. Yes. So join us next week for Jerry Maguire. Oh, dear. All right. Thank you, everybody. Yep, cheers. See you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye.